As you're seated this morning, I want to take a moment now to dismiss our children to head upstairs. Our kids are going to go upstairs for our time that we call Kids Crew. Each Sunday, we have a time of worship specifically for our kids on their level, and so they're going to be dismissed now to head upstairs for our Kids Crew worship time. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. We'll be finishing out Galatians chapter 5 in our time together, looking at the, uh, the, the, the remainder of this chapter together. Yes, All right, Galatians chapter 5 this morning, we're going to look at this word as we, as we finish the second half of Galatians chapter 5, our study. We're calling this the heart of the gospel, our study through the book of Galatians, because we find the, essentially the heartbeat, the, the, the most essential elements of the gospel message presented to us in the book of Galatians again and again. And so this passage that we will study this morning, beginning in verse 16, working our way through verse 25, Galatians chapter 5, contains for us some very significant teaching on not only the, the, the gospel itself, but then the work of transformation that takes place in our lives by the, by the power of God's Holy Spirit once we have surrendered our lives to this gospel message. And so I want to invite, with you, invite you rather to read with me Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. I'm going to read through verse 25. You can follow along in your Bible. The words will be on the screens as well as we read this text this morning. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so this morning we want to look at this passage and we want to study how we are to live in response to the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. And so on the back of your worship guide that you received when you came in this morning, there's a place for you to follow along and Take notes as we work our way through this text. In fact, I've even, we've designed it so that there are some blanks for you to fill in that you can keep up as we go through this. And the first point I want us to see in this text this morning is that those who have responded by faith to the gospel are empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk by the Spirit. And so in this, this very passage, the very first thing essentially that Paul writes, but I say walk by the Spirit. We're going to look at what it means for us to walk by the Spirit this morning, that we, would, that we would understand how it is that we walk by the Spirit as we are led by God. But as we, as we look to understand what this means, it's, an, it's essential that we, that we understand that only those who have responded by faith to the gospel, only those 
who have received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit can then in turn walk by the Spirit. And so if we're going to walk by the Spirit, if we're going to be led by God's Holy Spirit, it stands to reason, of course, that we, that, that we need to have the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit will enable us to live by the Spirit. In fact, not only will the Holy Spirit enable us, not only will the Holy Spirit empower us, but literally walking by the Spirit, as we're, as we're going to see, walking by the Spirit is really a work that happens as we look to surrender our lives and follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul means here. And so let's, let's, let's dig deeper here, this, this idea of what it means for us to walk by the Spirit. In this passage, several different points in this passage Paul gives us instructions about the leadership of the Holy Spirit and how we are to follow this leadership of the Holy Spirit, okay? In verse 16, we've already seen that he says that we would walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, he mentions that if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He also says in verse 24 that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, meaning that those that he's speaking of here who produce the fruit of the Spirit are those who belong to Christ, those who have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And then in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so from beginning to end of this passage of this text, we see that the work of the Holy Spirit is essentially a, a work that God does in the life of the believer. We're talking about believers here, those who have responded by faith to Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, we, we studied the work of, of justification. And if you remember, if you have been here as we've worked our way through this. This has been actually several weeks ago now, but as we were working in Galatians chapter 2 and working our way through Galatians chapter 2, I, I taught and I, and I reminded you, or I, rather I taught you at the time, I want to remind you of it now, but I taught at the time of the significance of justification in Paul's reasoning and his arguments, his, his understanding that he's teaching in Galatians. And so thumb back with me to Galatians chapter 2. I want you to look back at the, the, the particular text uh, that I was talking about. This is in Galatians chapter 2, and, uh, and I want you to go to verse, uh, verse 14, verse 15. Uh, we're kind of picking it up in context here, right? We, we understand that we're just, we're, we're picking this up in the context, and, and I don't have time to go back through all of this context. I would tell you that if you'd like to go back, if you've missed any of these sermons, they're all available on our website that you can go back and listen to them on our website as well. But in verse 14 of chapter 2, Paul is writing about when, when he came to the Galatians, uh, he, he told them these stories, and now he's reminding them of this, of this incident that happened with Peter, and this didn't happen in their midst, but he's using it as a teaching point to remind them in verse 14 of what had happened and, and how that we are all, both Jews and Gentiles alike, that we are all called to live in the grace that God provides, that we are justified by grace alone, and it's not anything to do with our works, so they didn't need to follow the law the way that the Jews did because they were justified by grace through faith, he's, um, verse 14 is really on the back end of that, that argument, if you will, of, of what he's teaching them. And then in verse 15, he writes this, that we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so when we, when we studied through that particular part of Galatians, we talked about how essential it was that we understand justification. Well, we have another important theological term, a theological concept, if you will, that goes with this particular text that we're looking at today. So justification, as we studied, justification is the work that happens when we come to Christ by faith, when we surrender our lives to him and by grace, his, his blood covers us, removes the stain, the guilt of our sin, and we are justified before God. But then from that point forward in our lives as believers, there is a progressive work that happens, that we, we enter this journey of growing in our new faith in Christ. And although justification Justification happens in that moment of surrender. Now we are positionally justified before God, meaning that we, we stand before him covered by the grace, by the blood of Christ. Now begins the work of sanctification. That's the, the theological term that we tag to this. And sanctification is the process that we go through in, in growing in, in faith and becoming more and more like Christ. You might say it this way, that it's, it's the process of growing in our holiness, if you want to think of it that way. To be sanctified means that we would be set apart. It's the, same, it's the concept of, of becoming more Christ-like, more holy in the way that we live. And what Paul is telling us here is that this process of being sanctified is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And so the Holy Spirit works in our lives, empowering us, enabling us to obey, sanctifying us. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul writes to the Romans that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So if we are led by the Spirit of God, which is what he's telling us to do even in this very passage in Galatians, look in chapter 5, verse 18, right, that we would be led by the Spirit. Paul writes to the Romans that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In other words, that this is talking about believers. He's talking specifically to believers here. and he's, So he's talking to those who are justified by grace through faith that now that they would grow in their sanctification, that they would become more like Christ as they yield themselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, we were to be honest, we would have to confess that as, as Baptists, oftentimes we are not terribly comfortable with the Holy Spirit, uh, right? The, we, uh, our our uh, charismatic brothers and sisters uh, tend to be oftentimes a lot more comfortable with the Holy Spirit than, than we are. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny when you get, you know, Baptists together with, uh, with other denominations, particularly more charismatic denominations, it's funny because you can easily spot the Baptists, right, when we're singing songs. And uh, in fact, for about a year now, on, uh, on, sun, on the fifth Sunday night, if there happens to be a month that has five Sundays, on those fifth Sunday nights, there have been churches from across Chickasha who have been gathering together at the high school on those Sunday evenings for a time of worship and a time of prayer together. And uh, we are just about the least charismatic group involved in those uh, fifth Sunday prayer gatherings. And it's really funny because you can pretty easily spot the First Baptist people, right? Or, and maybe not all First Baptists, but uh, we, we, are not as, uh, we are not as, well, they would say free in the Spirit. I would say uh, 
maybe I would say, loosed in the spirit, well, you know, uh, as, as some of our other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I think there's a balance that needs to be kept. Hear me when I say this, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not judging us. In fact, I, I happen to like the, the, where we stand on a lot of those things. But I think if there were any, if there were any valid criticism at points, is that we tend to think of the work of the Holy Spirit as more of an afterthought rather than being led by the Spirit. That oftentimes if there's something that we can be guilty of is that we would charge ahead in our own plans and our own ways and in our, in our want, in our desire to not, uh, to not just uh, be, be out of control but to really sincerely be instructed by and led by the Word of God, sometimes we fall into the trap of doing things in our own in our own uh, intelligence, and in our own wisdom, and our own thinking, and our own power even, instead of being led by the Spirit of God. Now, a fair criticism of the other side might be really uh, very similarly that they tend to run ahead of the Spirit, and not everything that gets labeled as being of the Spirit is actually of the Spirit, but it, it's easy to be carried away on either side, right? We even last week, remember, we talked about the, the extremes that we tend to fall into, and that in reality, we find that the truth is held with a certain degree of tension. And so for us, the tension comes in not wanting to, not wanting to be so dictated by our own reason and our own understanding that we fail to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The truth is, following the leadership of the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, as Paul labels it here, is, I would say, much more of an art than a science, right? It, it's something that we have to learn to do. And, and the reality is that the more we walk by the Spirit, the more we are led by the Spirit, the more comfortable we become in being led by the Spirit. And so oftentimes, the hardest thing for us is getting started. The hardest thing for us is those first steps of faith. So how do we walk by the Spirit? How, how do we do what the very thing that Paul is calling us to here, that we would walk by the Spirit? Well, I, let me state this, and, and then I want to get into three ways that I think we can walk by the Spirit this morning. But I want to state this significant thing first. I think it's very important that Paul uses the word walk here when he talks about being led by the Spirit, that he instructs us to walk by the Spirit. And in fact, if you study in the language, in the Greek, the, the word that is translated walk in verse 16 of chapter 5 is a present imperative, meaning that it's in the present active indicative uh, sense. Rather, it's not indicative. Rather, it's imperative. And so it's, it's a command. Paul is not saying here essentially if you want to, if you, if you choose to. He's, he's instructing them, do this. Walk by the Spirit. So he's, he's telling them in that sense that this is an instruction. This is a command that we are to follow. And the active sense means that essentially we should keep on walking by the Spirit, essentially. So we could easily translate this to say, but I say, keep walking by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is something that we are continually to do. This, there isn't a one-time moment where we... We look back and we say, listen, I made a decision, and now I walk by the Spirit. No, it's a continual process in our lives of surrendering to the control, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's a continual process in our lives of being led by God rather than just going on our own and, and being led by our own, our own desires and our own choices. And even last week, I talked about the fact that when we 
understand God's work in our lives, that the, the freedom that we have, really what we see is that God doesn't release us to our desires. Really, in reality, he rescues us from our desires by calling us to something that's much greater than our desires. And so the thing that is greater than our desires is that we would be led by his Holy Spirit, that we would walk by the Spirit. And he says that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So in on the one hand, we can understand that if we, if we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But really the the, the opposite of this is true as well, that if we are gratifying the desires of the flesh, we could say then we're not walking by the Spirit. So the litmus test for our lives, are we following God? Are we being led by His Holy Spirit? Is to look at our desires. Are you seeking after the desires of your flesh? Or rather, as Jesus Himself says, are you, are you crucifying those, well, he says it here, crucifying those desires. Jesus says that we would take up our cross and that we are following him by, by not surrendering ourselves to our, our wants and our desires, but rather by following the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because in verse 17, he tells us, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. So let's just say it very plainly. Anyone who would seek to gratify the desires of their flesh will not, cannot please God. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. That if we, if we are, are living to gratify those desires of the flesh, that it is impossible for us to please God. If we desire to please God, we must be led by His Holy Spirit. We must walk by the Spirit. There's a continual action that takes place there. We keep on walking by the Spirit. And so three things that I, I want to look at this morning that, that we see in our lives when we walk by the Spirit. When we are being led by God's Holy Spirit, there are these, these evidences, if you will, in our lives. And the first one is this. When you walk by the Spirit, you will pursue holiness over happiness. You will pursue holiness over happiness. Happiness. When, when he talks here about satisfying the desires of the flesh, those are the things that make us happy, the things that we want, right? And, and we know that really at the, at, the very, at the very root level, sin is us seeking our desires. Sin comes because we want what we want, and so we seek after those things that we want rather than seeking to crucify those desires that we would be led by God's Holy Spirit. And so in our lives, when we, when we as, as he writes here in, in verse 24, as we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, as we surrender to God's Holy Spirit rather than giving in to those desires, we'll find that we pursue holiness over happiness. In fact, I, I think one of the great mistakes, one of the greatest mistakes that is made so often in, in, in the lives of believers today and one of, the, one of the purest signs of false teaching that we find is when we elevate our happiness above our holiness. Um, you can just look to our culture, and there are so many examples that abound in culture today of instances where people would say, 
that, well, God wants me to be happy. He's made me this way. He's given me these desires. I have these desires. I was born with this drive or these desires, and God just wants me to be happy. And the reality is that that is a lie. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy because God knows that if you will be holy, then you will have joy and you will be satisfied. And so God wants you to be satisfied, and he's willing to sacrifice your happiness that he might bring about your ultimate satisfaction. But one of the purest signs of false teaching is when we elevate the idea of our happiness, when we place our wants and our desires over the clear teaching of the Word of God, believing that, well, God wants me to be happy. God loves me, and he just wants me to know his love. Listen, God does love you infinitely, and he wants you to know his perfect love for your life. But his perfect love intends to rescue you from your sinful, fallen, selfish wants that he might give you something that will outlive and outlast the desires of your heart. And that is your holiness, not just your happiness. And so, true, the desires of your flesh may make you happy for a season, but they will never satisfy you. In fact, All we have to do is look at the very same world around us that preaches to us, that elevates the role of our happiness to find the the end result of that kind of lifestyle, that kind of teaching, right? All we have to do is look at example after example of people who surrender themselves to their wants and their desires only to find that they are never more empty and never more lonely and more isolated than when they are living fully in, the, in that self-gratification of desire. You can do a simple Google search, okay? And I, and I did it this week. So you, you can do this. You can do a simple Google search. Just type in... Uh, Money doesn't buy happiness. Type in something like that in Google, and you'll be surprised at the stories and even the studies, the psychological studies that support the idea that money cannot buy happiness. Having everything that you've ever wanted will not make you happy. It will only make you ultimately, in the end, unsatisfied because when you get everything you want, you realize that you still want more, that enough is never enough, right? God wants us to rescue you from that that downward spiral of seeking after self-gratification because what he wants to give you is something that's infinitely more uh, of more worth, infinitely more satisfying than the desires of your heart. So walking in the Spirit may not always lead you to be happy, but it will always, always satisfy you walk by the Spirit, quite honestly, I, I just promise you, if you walk by the Spirit, there will be times when you are unhappy because sometimes what God wants for us is not what we want. In fact, oftentimes what God wants for us is not what we want. But even in the midst of that, there will be an abiding peace and a joy that will leave you satisfied every time. In fact, I have never met anyone who surrendered their life completely and fully to the work of God, who looked back and said, "Ah, it wasn't worth it. There were sacrifices along the way. There were choices that had to be made, and I regret that. But I've known a lot of people who have given themselves fully to the desires of their heart who would say it was empty. It was meaningless. 
Speaking of being you know, unhappy but satisfied, think of it this way. There are lots of examples, even small examples that we can think of in our lives, of times when we are unhappy but satisfied, right? Anybody love working out? Anybody just love to, you know, you just love working out? No? A lot of us don't, right? But we do it anyway because we know at the end of the day that it's worth it, right? In fact, there are a lot of times that I have to talk myself into working out or going for a run or something like that. And I never regret it afterward. In fact, I always feel better and I always feel good afterward. But there are a lot of times, you know, you're a mile or two into a run or something and I'm thinking, this, I, this is terrible, I hate this, this hurts, this is painful, right? There are a lot of things that we do in life that are not fun in the moment, but we do them because we know that there is a payoff for this, right? Think about your career. Think about your education. Think about... Uh, the, the way that you spend your money. Think about the choices you make in raising your children. There are a lot of things that we do that may not make us happy at the moment, that may seem like a lot of hard work and a lot of pain in the moment, but we do it because we understand that there is a payoff that is worth it in the end. The very same thing is true when it comes to following Christ. Sometimes, well, oftentimes, can I say that? We may have to sacrifice our happiness for our holiness, but it is always worth it. So when we walk by the Spirit, you'll pursue holiness over happiness. This is exactly what he says in in the text here, by the way, when he talks about how the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit to keep you from doing what you don't want to do. If you follow the desires of the flesh, you, you cannot grow in holiness. Next, we see this, that when you walk by the Spirit, your life will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22 and 23, he give us the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I, I'm not going to go through the fruit of the Spirit and spend a lot of time recounting each one of these because the truth is I can make a sermon of each and every one of these fruit of the Spirit. But I do want to say a few things about them. First of all, notice that it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. That these, you, We don't get to pick and choose. We don't say, well, I want this and I want this and I want this, but ah, not so much, you know, give me some. Give me some joy, give me some peace, give me some, uh, give me some goodness, but, you know, self-control, I don't really want that. You know, patience, eh, that does not, that's no fun, right? Faithfulness, I don't know about that. These, these are a package deal. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Also, it's important that we notice that these are the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you and I. This doesn't come naturally to us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are not natural things that we abound in, right? These are not character qualities that we're all born with. This is the work of God's Holy Spirit in us, changing us, transforming us from the inside out. And so this is a product of the work of the Spirit in our life. This is a product of His sanctifying work in making us holy, in making us more like Christ. And this is not something that we do on our own. And the reality is that if we seek after the desires of our flesh, then we will not abound, we will not grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Instead, our life will look more like the list of things here. He he mentions in verse 19 that the works of the flesh are evident. And there are so many of them. Again, I don't have the time today to go through them one by one. Equally, each of these could be a sermon as well, what the Scripture teaches about how we should avoid these things. But what Paul is saying is this. There are the works of the flesh and there is the fruit of the Spirit. And we have to look at our lives and we have to examine our hearts and our lives. And we will know if we are walking by the Spirit in 
the fruit that our life produces. Are we producing the works of the flesh or are we producing the fruit of the Spirit? And so when we walk by the Spirit, our lives will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And finally, we see this, that when you walk by the Spirit, you will obey the Spirit's commands. So he tells us in this passage that if we belong to Christ, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, verse 24, right? We have crucified the flesh, meaning that we have died to the flesh. We, we no longer surrender to the, the flesh, the desires of our, of our flesh, which the flesh is the word that he uses throughout this passage and often throughout his teaching. Paul uses that word flesh as a, as a way of reminding us of the old way of life before we came to Christ, the old self, the old us. He, he labels that as the flesh. And so he's telling us not to surrender to the desires of the flesh, but rather to give in to the work of the Spirit. And that if we surrender to the work of the Spirit, of course, it stands that we would obey then the Holy Spirit. So when we walk by the Spirit, we will obey the Spirit's commands. Verse 25 is essential. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. Now, some translations actually translate that phrase, keep in step as walk in the Spirit. So it would say, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit or walk with the Spirit. The ESV translated, translates it differently because it's not actually the same word that's used in verse 16 for walk by the Spirit. In fact, keep in step with the Spirit carries with it the idea, the Greek word there, carries with it the idea that we would, that we would form a line, that we would follow behind so it's saying that if we, if we want to live by the Spirit, we have to follow behind the Holy Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit by following the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? Of course, we obey the Spirit's commands. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. There it is, plain, black and white. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And so the way that we obey the work of the Spirit, the way that we obey is by surrendering those desires of the flesh, by keeping in step, by following, as it were, following behind the work of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for us as believers? It means that we surrender our wants and our desires to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. It's a prompting from within, right? It's, it's something that's, if we're to be honest, it's something that's difficult to, to fully grasp at times because the Word is clear, and the Word of God gives us very clear instruction on how we're to live our lives, but oftentimes the, the nuances, the details of how we live that out aren't spelled out in black and white in the Word of God, and that's where we have to rely on the prompting, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so this is the way that I always think of it, that I want to be surrendered fully to God's work, that I want to be, that I want to be, uh, that I want to be cleansed from sin in the sense that I am working to wage war against my flesh, to, to not surrender to the desires of my flesh, but rather be surrendered to the Spirit, that I want to follow after God completely so that in those moments where I don't know exactly what I should do and I'm relying on the Lord for the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I can trust 
I can trust and follow that voice within that's guiding me because I know that I'm listening to the Holy Spirit because I've, I've worked to rid the sinful desires out of my life, the things that the Word is clear on. And in that moment, I can follow the prompting of God in my conscience, in my heart, if you will. And that's not perfect. And I would be the first to confess that there are times that I get it wrong and I don't do what I ought. And, but here's what I know is that when I make mistakes and when I stumble and fall, it's never because God isn't there leading me along the way. It's because in reality, I'm still battling those desires of the flesh. And so this is, a, as I've mentioned already, more of an art than a science, but it's a, a continual process in our lives of following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, and if we were to be honest and be fair, that's why we're so uncomfortable at times with the Holy Spirit. We want things black and white, right? We want things like spelled out, the thou shouts, right? Thou shalt do this, thou shalt do that, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. And oftentimes the, the, the in-between, those areas of conscience and conviction where we're being led by the Spirit, that's what we struggle the most with. But we know this. God's desire is to lead us. His desire is for us to walk in step with the Spirit. And so if we will seek to be surrendered fully to His work in our lives, if we will seek to walk every step of the way, God will lead us with His Holy Spirit. What does it look like in our life? Well, we know this. We will pursue holiness over happiness. Our lives will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. We will be obeying the commands of God. If we do those things, then we're on our way in this journey to be led by the Spirit. And so as we prepare for a time of response, a time of invitation this morning, I, this is going to be a time where, where we can take all of this now and we can put it into practice by going to God and asking that he would lead us, that he would shape our hearts to desire the things of the Spirit, that he would convict us of sin in our lives, that we might that we might surrender and that we might repent of those sins and turn instead to follow him and his direction in our lives. And so this really, this, this time of response this morning is for all of us, for all of us, especially those of us who are believers that we would seek to follow. And if, if you recognize this morning, if you realize there's never been that moment where you've surrendered your life to Christ, then the first step for you, first and foremost, is that you would surrender to his saving grace, that you would be justified by grace through faith, and then begin this journey of walking by the Spirit. So in just a moment, we'll have a time of response where our staff will be here at the front We'll sing a song of invitation together, and as we do that, we want to invite you. You can come and pray here at our altar this morning. You can come, speak with one of our staff. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. If you're ready to surrender your life to Christ today, or if you're ready to take that next step, whatever that may be in your journey with Christ, then come, speak with our staff this morning. Let us equip you and encourage you along the way. But in whatever way God is leading you, I want to challenge you with this this morning, that you would not hold on to the ways of the flesh, that you would not, that you would not, by that lie that just says, well, I'll do it later. I don't want everybody to watch. I don't want everybody to see. I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Rather, that you would set aside every hindrance, everything that would keep you from following Christ, that you would be surrendered fully to him. Would you pray with me now? Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts and our lives in this place this morning, God. A work that is not of us, a work that is not of our own uh, our own devising, 
or even of our own power or beyond that, God, even our own ability to take credit or, uh, or to claim it, but rather that we would be led by your Holy Spirit, that you would have freedom. Lord, lead us to walk in that freedom that you call us to, that we might be fully surrendered to you, that we might experience your power at work in us as we walk by your Spirit.